All right, good morning, family. Thank you guys so much for being at church. Labor Day weekend, come on. There's a lot of other places that you could be. You are here in church. How many of y'all are thankful that we're starting to feel like hints of fall coming? How many of y'all? Amen. Amen. I love fall. Uh, it, it's probably my favorite season. I love everything about it. The only thing I don't like about it is y'all be crazy over your pumpkin spice stuff. I mean, crazy. I mean, and here's the thing. I don't think it's, it's not men. There's not like a lot of men in here that would be willing even to admit that they like a pumpkin spice latte. But the women are crazy about their pumpkin spice. Like it is a, dra- a drug. Y'all need like support groups for your pumpkin spice. Oh my goodness. Like I, I, was, I was at a coffee shop and I walked in and I went up to order and the guy's like, what are you gonna order today? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. He's like, are you gonna order pumpkin spice? I'm like, no. He's like, well, that's refreshing. <laughs> it's just like, I will say this. I have to admit this. Somebody pointed this out. I had a pumpkin spice donut. I'm not gonna blaspheme in the house of God and say it was as good as a Krispy Kreme, but it was close, okay? I mean, it was right up there. But y'all love your pumpkin spice, my goodness. Uh, We're starting a a two-week series today. It's a short series, but it's called Old School. Uh, Last week, we talked about prayer. We talked about how prayer can never be replaced by anything new in regards to how we connect and communicate with God. Uh, But I also think it's very important to emphasize that the Word of God cannot be replaced by anything either. And uh, there are some, some great old school stories that we can look at in the word that are still relevant and profound and can still help us today. And so we're going to look at a couple of those stories. But when I think about old school, like how many, how many of y'all know the stories that were like on the flannel board? How many guys went to a church where you learned Bible stories on a flannel board? Come on, raise your hands. Come on. All right. Okay. Now here's the deal. Like we may make fun of it now, but I'm telling you, flannel boards have changed people's lives, Right? And so we can't just like say, like make it, make, say that they didn't have any impact or it's because, because those old, old school stories, they did help. They helped me. They impacted my life. But when I think about old school, I don't know what you think about when you think about old school. But I was, I was thinking about some items, some, some different things that I think about when I think about old school. And so I want to show you a couple. First of all, the rotary phone. How many of y'all remember the rotary phone? Now, here's the deal. I think we need to bring this back. And this is the reason why. When we had a rotary phone, you had time to think about what you were going to say before you made the call, right? Because first thing you had to do is get a phone book. How many of y'all remember phone books? Okay, so you had to get out a phone book first, and you had to find the number, but then you had to dial the number. Like, you developed carpal tunnel dialing back in, you know, just because it's like, it's going to take a while. But you just had time to think before you talk. Nowadays, man, you just pull out your phone, it's on speed dial, and you just say whatever you want to say, as quick as you want to say it. So I think we need to bring the rotary phone back. We also had boom boxes. How many of y'all remember boom boxes? Come on now. Ah! Come on, they, these were some versatile pieces of technical equipment. I mean, you could carry them around on your shoulder, you know what I'm saying? You could, like, adjust the base on them, you know? 
Here's what you have to know, though. You're going to have to have 18 D-sized batteries to power that sucker. <laughs> like, that stereo weighed 87 pounds because of the amount of batteries. Like, the batteries, cut, like, all of that space is just so you could put the batteries in it to power it. But it's worth it. But then, we, you know, and then things got a little better than CDs. Y'all remember when CDs first came out? Okay, how many of y'all had a Walkman? How many of y'all had a Walkman? Okay, remember these? This, I, didn't, I never had anything like this nice. Like, this is the car-ready Sony Walkman. So here's the deal. Like, it, there is a major problem in our culture today with texting and driving. And I would encourage you, don't do that, okay? But, but some of us forget, like, it was just as dangerous driving back when this is around. Because with all those cords all over your car, there was a chance you were going to get caught in the web of cords and wreck your car because you, you just, you had to have all this stuff. You had your tape adapter. Man, you, those things would short out constantly, you know what I'm saying? And then you had your cigarette lighter adapter. You got, anybody recognize a little knob right there? No, it's because none of us could afford a Walkman like this. Because that would, you could, you could glue that to your dashboard and, and control your Walkman using that. And I, I didn't even, I had to look up what that was. I was like, I, didn't, I was apparently not wealthy enough to afford that nice of a Walkman. And then, and then how many of y'all remember your very first CD, the very first CD that you own? How many of y'all remember your very first CD? Okay. You want to know what my very first CD was? Like the first CD I owned, not because I bought it, but because my parents bought it for me? DC Talk, new thing, baby. <laughs> Come on. You know he's doing it. Who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. <laughs> but the scariest thing that you can learn today is that style is coming back. <laughs> that is frightening. Like that is proof like the signs of the times, the second coming of Jesus has got to be drawing nigh. Because that, like you could find people at our youth group dressing like that now. <laughs> Fanny packed the whole deal. Uh, so that was embarrassing. But the reason why DC Talk like, got so much traction is because parents are getting wore out trying to make their kids listen to Carmen. How many of y'all remember some Carmen up in the house? Yeah, it's like parents are desperate. It's like, I've got to have my kids listen to Christian music. And they try to shove Carmen down our throats like, this is good. This is what you need to listen to. And it's like, it's bad music, though. It's just really not that great. you know. But he tells stories and, you know... The Italian Stallion, Carmen concerts, and they were free. And, and, uh, but, but that's why we wind up having, because DC Talk was like edgy. Like they talked about some stuff. Like some of y'all, your parents wouldn't even let you listen to DC Talk when they first came out. They're just like, uh-uh, mm-mm, nope, nope. Sandy Patty, that's all you get to listen to. <laughs> Sandy Patty, that's all you got. A little Amy Grant every once in a while, but she was edgy too. The point is, old school stuff still made a difference, still impacted people. So I want to tell an old school story about the fiery furnace. How many of y'all remember the fiery furnace in Sunday school and growing up and reading Bible stories? The book of Daniel tells the story of how God, one of God's prophets, he was in the Old Testament, Daniel uh, was telling the story of when the Israelites went into exile out of Jerusalem, and they were in what is the modern day Iraq. And that's where they were, uh, the Babylonians the Babylonian Empire, and that's where they were exiled too. 
And so this prophet Daniel, and it tells the story of these three friends, these three young men, Israelites, that were taken into captivity, essentially, but they were taken into this horrible culture. I mean, talk about pagan, heathenistic culture. They were taken into this horrible anti-God culture, and were, they tried to indoctrinate them. They tried to change who they were. They tried to change everything about them to make them fit into that culture. I think this is so relevant to the times that we live in, the culture that is trying to influence us. And I think there's some stuff that we can learn from these four young leaders. In Daniel chapter one, starting in verse three, it says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So they wanted to essentially teach what were at this time teenage boys. They wanted to teach them their culture indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. But the way that these young men responded to what was happening to them, I think is a blueprint for us and how we can respond to the culture that we live in as well. The culture is trying to impact us. And I want to talk about some of the ways that I think culture tries to impact us. First of all, the pressure to change your name. The pressure to change our name. And verse 7 says, Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. New names to them. Okay, so Daniel, the name Daniel actually means God is my judge. Apparently a big fan of Tupac, I guess. Five of you will get that joke. <laughs> and he had his name changed to Belshazzar. And then Hananiah which means God is gracious, was changed to Shadrach. Mishael, who is God like, got changed to Meshach. Azariah, God has helped me, was changed to Abednego. I love how in Hebrew and Jewish culture, like names meant something. Like, and, it, and most of the time it always pointed back to God's goodness. You know, but even there, a lot of times it just had to do with the actual circumstance to which they were born, and, and, and sometimes, like, some of the names, and you go into some of their meetings, like, man, they had some mean, hateful parents. But all their names always had deep meaning. They always, and, and even when a, a name was given, there's so many times that God would change a name for someone because their name was not the way he saw them. I think that's so cool. We don't necessarily think a lot about what names mean nowadays. It's more like, you know, What's going to look cool embroidered on their backpack, you know, and stuff like that. My name is James. The name James means supplanter, okay? Uh, and, and really all that means is to trip up or overthrow, which essentially describes my athletic career throughout the course of my life. Like, like there's, but it is interesting how there's been times when I've had to come in and take over for different people and leadership but a lot of times we don't think about the meaning of our names. But regardless of what your name that your parents gave you, I think it's really important for you to understand there is a name that God has given you. 
There is a spiritual name that God has given you. Now, don't get spooky on me. Don't go, like, go from here. It's like, oh, I'm going to go on a pilgrimage to discover my spiritual name, man. Like, but, but what I'm saying is, he has said some things about you. He's given you some names. He's given you specifically an identity. If you've called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if nothing else, he identifies you the same way he identifies his son. So he at least calls you by his son's name. That's how he sees you. But what I notice is in our culture, it's trying to change us. Why? Because if you change someone's identity, if you change someone's name, then you can detach them from their foundation. And if you can detach them from their foundation, they can become something else. And I believe that the enemy is trying to put a name on you that is different than the name that God has given you. Some of us, we've had some labels in our lives that are not from God. I know that there was a season in my life when I was younger where I could have easily have put the label rejected because I didn't have any friends. You know, I, I wasn't getting picked for dodgeball. Uh, I didn't have people that wanted to sit with me at lunch. I could have very easily have taken on a label that was not what God saw. I think there's some other labels that some of you that have ado- adopted as your identity. Failure. Victim. Messed up. Ugly. I think even a diagnosis sometimes can do this. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go and get help from doctors and have God use the wisdom and the knowledge and understanding of a doctor to help us with something that we're dealing with. But I think what can happen is that something that a doctor has communicated that we're dealing with can wind up defining us. We can start letting that consume who we are and take us away from walking in the fullness of what God says that we are. I had some diagnoses that were spoken over me. These things could have and tried to desperately define me. When I was young, around four years old, I was told that I was special needs. I'd be in special needs classes for the rest of my life. I'd always struggle in school. I was diagnosed with ADHD, dyslexia. Because of all the social issues I had, I was, I was told I had to have been on the spectrum somewhere. That could be the only explanation. And the reality was, did I struggle with some of those things? Yeah, I did. I could still. But they're not going to define me. Am I aware of them? Yep. Do I know that I have to be intentional and wise about how I compensate and deal with them and let the Lord help me with them? Absolutely. But you have to understand my dependency is on his grace, not on a diagnosis. So I trust him with it. Sometimes the pressure is to change your identity. Also the pressure to compromise our standards. To compromise our standards. If you get shaken off your foundation, it's going to be really difficult for you to stand for any kind of conviction. So these three friends, Daniel included, though, with four, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's kind of the focus. They were offered food that they had never eaten before. And the reason why they had never eaten it before was not because they were keto or vegan. It was because the food that they were offered was against Moses' law. 
And, and, and this is Old Testament. This is before Jesus. And so the law was their connectivity to relationship with God, abiding by the law, Moses' law. And so now they're brought into this environment and into this culture that doesn't believe the way they believe. And so they're trying to get them to consume things that God did not want them to consume, primarily because God was protecting them. It wasn't necessarily that what they were being told to consume was bad. It just wasn't God's best. And so this culture is trying to convince them, you can have this, consume this, eat this. And they had to make the decision of whether or not they were going to stand for their convictions and not compromise, not give in. So Daniel gets this wisdom from God and he makes a deal with Ashpenaz, who is the official. Because he, he's the one that's telling him here, you, this is the choice food from, from the king's table. He said, I'll tell you what, if we, if you'll give, make a deal, I can make a deal with you. If you'll let us just eat vegetables for 10 days and then see if we can keep up and be just as healthy, if not more healthy than everyone else that's eating all the food that you want us to eat. Okay, so it says this in verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were actually fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Okay, so really, they only ate vegetables for 10 days and they gained weight? I'm sorry, that's just, that, that don't make sense, but it means that God was clearly with them. Look, I, I want to encourage you with something. Sometimes I think we feel like, God, you just don't know what it's like to experience the pressure that I'm experiencing. Like God is somehow surprised at the temptations that we would be faced with, the things that culture is trying to get us to consume. And I think it would be interesting if you spent some time in prayer, maybe even fasting, if God would reveal to you a creative way that you can be in your culture and not of your culture. Where you can be around people that are trying to get you and telling you and then they realize, wait, they're not doing that. And look how healthy they are. That God could give you a creative solution to not have to compromise. To not have to give in to what everyone else is telling you should do. So two chapters later, I'm going to give a synopsis. Uh, these guys are now in their 30s. And they're actually governors in Babylon. God has given them a tremendous amount of favor and influence but King Nebuchadnezzar, he's full of himself. He builds this huge idol, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, very misproportioned. He must have skipped some leg days or something. But, but he, he builds this whole, this huge thing, and he says, okay, here's the deal. I want to gather everybody together, get out the royal orchestra, and when the beat drops, I want everybody to get down and bow and worship this idol. So a lot of us remember this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're out there. And they have to make this decision if they're going to compromise. Honestly, I don't necessarily know that God would have had a huge issue with it, but they had conviction in their heart that they weren't going to compromise no matter what. They didn't, weren't going to let anything get in the way of their ability to connect with their Heavenly Father. But they're told if they don't bow down, they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. So, for years, they've been the model of how to stand 
for their faith, but now they have to be willing to be a model for how to suffer for their faith. I think that that could be a season and a time that we could live in. Most of us, though, we're never going to feel the pressure that these guys faced. But we do feel pressure. There's pressure at work. There's family pressure. There's school pressure. There's a lot of different pressure from, from the outside world, from culture, to get us to compromise. And I think that when the pressure comes, there's really three different ways that we, as a body of believers, as Christians that we choose to respond to pressure. One way that we could respond is we just can oppose the culture. And that's like us versus the world. And I think that this mindset very quickly becomes attached to what I would call a religious spirit. I, I think the spirit that the Pharisees had, I think that there's a demonic spirit that still exists now where people get so judgmental and dogmatic, these are the types of people we wind up blocking on Facebook because they get on there and so, they're so divisive and they're so mean and they're just passing judgment. And it could be about just about anything. It could be that they're judgmental and negative about different styles of church than what they like and what they want. And so they point out all the faults and flaws of, of other churches, the way they worship. But they're for sure very negative against anybody who thinks differently than they think. And it just brings division. Divisive comments that ultimately wind up building walls around them and secluding them, which means that they can't influence. Another perspective would be that we can just embrace the culture. Us like the world. This isn't the answer either. But this would be the mindset of how can an affirming and accepting God, how could a loving God ever say something that doesn't agree with the choices a person is living by? Let me speak to my own personal testimony. The most loving thing that God has ever done in my life is pull me out of the sin that could destroy my life. That is the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction. It is our job to love people. It's our responsibility to love people, no matter what. But that does not mean that we need to accept the things that are in their life that are contrary to this. We don't have to support. We don't have to agree with. We do need to love them. We need to love them. And I think the last approach is the approach that God would have for us, and that is that we could inspire the culture. And what that means is it's us for the souls of this world. It means that we have an eternal perspective when we understand, look, I can't accept the sin of the world, but I can love people and try to speak life and God's truth and God's promise into them and let the Holy Spirit bring to conviction to anything that doesn't line up with his word. But that means that the world has to know what we're for. 
That means the world has to be convinced that we actually love them. I think there's three lessons from the fiery furnace. First of all, you got to know what you stand for. You got to know what you stand for. Look, anybody that's raising kids, you, you, you understand how difficult it is to get your kids to understand a principle. Like everything we do in our house, the, the rules and the standards, it's not for the rule itself. Like we're not saying, hey, we want you to clean your room for the sake of having a clean room. It's also because we're trying to teach them a life principle, right? Like if you are just completely disorganized and a mess all the time, that's going to wind up presenting itself in other areas of your life that's going to hurt you. It's going to cause you to lose influence. And so we're just constantly like trying to, all these things, don't lie, don't cheat, be nice to people, don't hit people, all those types of things. It's like, it's not just about that action, it's about a bigger picture principle. And how many of y'all know? It's like impossible. It feels like just this uphill battle, just constantly, it's like, how many times do I have to say this? How many, you're just not getting the principle. And then they'll do some smart aleck little thing that goes by the letter of what you asked them to do but misses the complete heart of what you actually asked them to do. But that's our role. It's our role as parents to continue to speak life and truth and love into our kids until they can be influenced to adopt a principle that can help them in life. I can stand up here week in and week out and try to convince you of a biblical principle. And I do on some subjects, I feel like I've said it 500 different ways with 800 different stories and a whole lot of different graphics and videos and everything else. And there are still some of you that are not getting the principle. And what I've learned is this. The principle is only as powerful as a person that's willing to adopt it for themselves. And I can't make anyone do that. It's just my role and responsibility to continue to speak it in life, in love, in truth, and let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do to let it produce fruit. But I've got to know what I stand for. I've got to know what I stand for. Daniel knew what he stood for. It says in verse 8, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine in which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. What I love about this is it says he made up his mind. Look, you don't make up your mind when you're in the battle. You make up your mind before the battle comes. You've got to decide what you're going to stand for before the difficult decision ha happens before the difficult situation comes at you, before you're in that environment where there's people that are trying to influence you and convince you to do something that you know is contrary to God's plan and purpose. You've got to have already made your mind up. This is who I am. This is who I am. Before we came to be pastors here, we were leading a school called Cadre Academy for 18 to 25 year olds like a leadership discipleship school. And what we saw with these students is some of the students came knowing what they stood for. Some of them did. Most of the students came knowing what their parents stood for. Or more specifically, they knew what their parents stood against. They knew what their parents stood against. And so they knew, I should stand against these things. 
And I've said this before. I think there's way too much shooting that happens. I think that we as believers can have a tendency to shoot on other people. I think we should on ourselves. I think there's a chance you've even shooted on your kids. You should, you should, you should. And I think one of the biggest problems with Christianity and that people have with Christianity is it seems like it's very apparent all the things that we stand against and it's not completely clear what we stand for. And I think it's more important that we need to be known for what we stand for and stop shooting on people of what they should be against. What does God want us to stand for? So some examples. It's clear the Bible says not to gossip, right? And so we could just dogmatic. Don't gossip. It's bad to gossip. Stop gossiping. People are still going to gossip. People are still going to gossip. They're going ju- to justify it any way they want. Well, it's not like I'm saying anything that's not true. I did cap it with we need to pray for them. So that makes it holy. So we could just be against that, or we could say, you know what? Instead of being against gossip, I'm just going to be for life-giving conversation. And so when I'm around people that have a tendency to be negative and be gossipy, I'm just going to flip the script, and I'm just going to start talking about the positive that could be in that person. Hey, I heard y'all talking about so-and-so. Hey, did y'all know that they're going through this, this deal? I don't know all the details. Some medical, but man, we just, God, they're in a really tough spot. We need to be praying for them. Hey, I heard y'all talking about our boss. And man, could you imagine how difficult it is having that much responsibility? Like it can't be easy to lead. I think, man, let's just pray for them. What if you did that? <laughs> Next time you heard some coworkers, and oh, the boss, he, I could do way better than he did. And he's terrible. He's mean and everything. What if you just walked over and like, man, y'all are, you know what we need? Let's pray for them. And you just shut it down. You just start praying right there in the middle of those people. And you just start praying God's blessing. You know what bad leaders need? They need a greater recognition of God's grace and love in their life. That's what they need. And, and, and if you're being negative, you're probably not in a place to try to show them and bring it. So the only thing really that you should be doing at that point is asking God to reveal more of himself to them. What do you stand for? Or another example. Man, I don't think you should drink. If you do drink, you certainly shouldn't drink too much. Because if you drink too much, well, that's, you're going to go to, you're probably going to hell. I think pretty much that's, that's where everybody that goes, they drink too much. Okay, so this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is convinced that God is concerned about your blood alcohol level. Like God's got a spiritual breathalyzer. And man, I'll tell you what, if that spiritual breathalyzer, if it reads too high, sorry, you're going to burn. <laughs> so you can know that you're against that or what you could be for. Just saying, you know what I'm for? I'm for my integrity representing the kingdom of God well. You know what I'm for? I'm for being able to make sound decisions. I'm for influencing my family, my kids, and my community to be wise. That's what I'm for. And if you spent more time focusing on what you're for, then you won't have to worry about all the things that you're against. 
if you stayed in the tree of life. Another thing, how do you stand out? In other words, how do you influence? These guys, man, they're in the middle of the most pagan culture that exists on the planet, and they are still influencing. It says this, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. In other words, these other guys that were supposed to have all the answers, they couldn't, they couldn't even touch the kind of wisdom and knowledge that was coming from these guys. They were influencers. They help influence and change the environment they're in. I've been married 17 years, and, and how many of y'all have recognized that you are different than your spouse. How many, anybody in here ever, you realizing that? I realize that we have this stark contrast and understanding of what appropriate temperatures are. I don't know if anybody else has discovered this in your, in your relationship. Uh, I, I have a strong conviction about what I feel like is a godly temperature <laughs> that I believe God actually intends for us to live in, okay? But Cody completely disagrees. In fact, Cody's favorite thing, she loves summertime. And she, she loves like when it's really hot outside, like Satan's armpit hot, okay? <laughs> and, so, and so if she's ever in what I would consider a reasonable, dare I say, godly environment when it comes to temperature, she loves to be able to step outside and let that heat just wrap itself around her whole body. And, that, and that's, that's, not, that's not even the best thing. The best thing for her is to go and get in my black car with, that's been sitting out in the sun that's 115 degrees inside. And she loves just to get in there. And so sometimes I'll get in and I'll turn the car and she'll be like, wait, don't turn on the AC yet. just feels so good. Pray for me. <laughs> because here's the thing. For me, heat causes an emotional reaction in me. It's called anger. Like I, if I start getting too hot and too sweaty and I would just feel like the whole, like claustrophobic. Like I want to slap something. Like, you know, it's just not good. And so we've got climate control in our car. It's just, it's not going to work because she wants it at 80 and I want it at 60. I'm sorry, there's no car that can accomplish that. But the point is this. God has called us to understand the environment that he's called us to and then to bring positive change to that environment. But what I find so many people doing is what I do when it comes to temperature. You're either going to be a thermometer or a thermostat. You're either going to sit around and read the temperature of a situation or environment. Well, I don't like this. I don't like, I don't like how they're doing. I don't, this guy, this work, this job, this boss, this, huh, huh, Thermometer sitting around reading the temperature or 
You can be a thermostat. I think this is what God has called us to be. People that come and through life-giving conversation, by the leading of the Holy Spirit and by his wisdom to bring positive change into the environment. Because there's some uptight, frustrated people. And if you could just be a thermostat, to not come in and join in on the conversation, be another person who just reads the negativity and, and talks about the negativity, but actually sets the temperature for what God wants to do. God could use you in amazing ways. So how do we stand out? Our professional competence, I think that's part of it. The way that we work, our work ethic. Now Daniel was so distinguished himself above all the other governors and administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to put Daniel in charge of the entire kingdom. Look, no matter what you do for your career, you have a chance every day to glorify God. And the truth is this, even if, you don't even have to be that passionate about your career to excel at your career. But I think our goal should be whatever I put my hand to, I'm gonna make it better. That's for the glory of God. Whatever, whatever, whatever I'm doing, whatever job I'm doing in this season of my life, and I don't know how long I'm gonna do, whatever I do, I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability to glorify God. Also our public commitment, our public commitment. So there's been a couple of times when I've coached my kids' teams. And, the, and what I've learned is if I have to choose between coaching my kids' team and still having a church for you to attend, it's better to have a church for you to attend. And so I don't coach my kids' teams anymore because I am very competitive, very competitive. Probably one of the most competitive people you've ever met in your life. And so I'm giving you permission. If you ever see me on a field or on a court and my behavior is causing you to be embarrassed to call this your home church, please come and tell me. Please come and tell me. The point is this. The way that we present ourselves in our community is not just a reflection on us. It's a reflection on our family, it's a reflection on our marriage, but it's also a reflection on the body of Christ. And so consider that the next time that you're laying into a ref or an umpire at one of your kids' games and yelling and screaming at them, consider the perception that you're creating the public perception that you're creating and understand that it's not just going to represent you. It's representing more than you. Your public commitment and our personal character. Our personal character. These guys made a decision that even if they were gonna face getting thrown into this fiery furnace, that they were not going to compromise who they were. They weren't gonna end they understood who their judge and who their defender is. And this is so huge because I have a, a big sense of justice too. And I could easily forget, I don't need to defend myself. God is my judge and God is my defender. 
I don't have to defend myself. These guys understood this. And verse 17 says, this is after King Nebuchadnezzar threatened these guys. Like, if you don't bow down, this is what's gonna happen. And they said, Eve, if it be so, our God whom we serve will be able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They refused to compromise. They stood strong in the pressure and they were thrown into the fire. There's gonna be a time in your life when you are gonna be in a fire. You may be in it right now. And if you're not right now, there's gonna be a season that you are. Pressure, pressure. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter three. It says, each of us must be careful of how we build our lives because Christ is the only, the only solid foundation. Whatever we build on the foundation will be tested by fire. If what we build is left standing, then we will receive a reward. But if what we build is burned up by the fire, then we lose our reward. Yet we will be saved like someone escaping the flames. In other words, at the end of the day, you're gonna to have to make the decision that the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God, your time, your devotion to Him, His Word, and the body of Christ. Any other foundation is faulty. And anything that you build around it, because here's the thing, what this is saying is, if you don't have that as your foundation, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not saved. It just means that you are not gonna live the life of fulfillment that he has for you. And what it also means is at one point or another, when the pressure and the fire comes, and if, if your foundation is not Christ, if he's not your number one priority for you personally, for your family, for your marriage, for your business, whatever it is, if he's not your number one priority, then everything else that you would wanna do is gonna be gone. God wants you to have a firm foundation so that not only do you get to enjoy life and everything that he would want you to enjoy in life, but also so you have an eternal reward because you knew what was most important. And that you use what you have for what is most important and that is his kingdom. It's also souls. It's not just so you make it to heaven, it's so other people make it to heaven too. The last thing is this, if you wanna know how to stand, you gotta know who you stand with. You gotta know who you stand with. That was the confidence that these three young men had as they got thrown into the fiery furnace. And verse 25 says, look, I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So different scholars would suggest that this might've been an Old Testament revelation of Jesus that it was actually, because nobody knew what Jesus looked like yet. And some say, no, it was just an angel doesn't matter, the point is this. The point is, you have to be confident that when you are in the fire, that God is walking in the fire with you. You can know that. You can know that without a shadow of a doubt. You can know that he hasn't left you. He hasn't run away from the flames. He embraced it. He embraced the greatest fire that any humankind, human person has ever experienced before when he went to the cross. That was his, the baptism of fire, the pain and suffering. That's what Jesus endured. 
So he is, he stands with you. But you have to be confident in that. That's why I think that exhortation from the Lord of singing over your seasons of mystery is so important because sometimes you need to be reminded who's standing with you. And I would like every person in this room to have that confidence this morning. That you know, like if, if you walked out of this place and there's no telling what tomorrow holds. If you watch the news, there's just no guarantee of anything anymore. But you can know that no matter what you will face, that you can know who you stand with. But some of you, you don't have any confidence in that right now. You don't have any confidence that God stands with you, that Jesus is walking with you. And I think it's so important that you have that confidence. It is a choice. It's a choice. It's something you have to, to own. And it's simply this. It's you recognizing and accepting you can't do this on your own. You can't save yourself. That you are a sinner. All of us are. We have, we've made mistakes. We've done things that have separated us from God's plan and from God's purpose. Every single one of us, myself included, I still make mistakes. I need a savior. And the way that you can have confidence that he's walking with you is by you simply confessing, I need to be saved from my sin, but I also need to surrender my life to Jesus as my Lord. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're in this room today and you just know that you're away from God, you're apart from him, and you know you need to come back to him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life or maybe you just never surrender to him as your Lord and as your savior. And you may be in the middle of a fire right now and it's just consuming you and you just have no confidence of his presence. I would love for you to have a relationship with him so you can know that. So you can have that confidence that Jesus wants to walk with you. He's with you. And if you're here today and you'd just be willing to confess like that's me, I know that I'm away from God. I don't have a relationship with him. I have in the past, but I don't right now and, and I need it. I'm gonna pray. And if you'd just be willing to admit like it's me and I wanna be included in this prayer, nobody looking around, if that's you, I want you to put your hand right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna know who you are. Got it, yes, 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 yes. Got it, thank you. Yes, thanks bro, got it. Got it, yes, got it bro. Anyone else? I'm away from God. I have no confidence that he's walking with me. I wanna have a relationship with him. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Anyone else? Yes, got it, thank you. Yes man. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. Look, I know what it's like to be stubborn. I'm one of the most stubborn people you know. I'm just telling you, this is not a good time to be stubborn. Because I know you can be wrestling with this. It's like, I don't know, like I've been in church a long time and man, I feel like maybe I did this at one point, but what if somebody senses that I'm raising my hand around them? Look, the only thing you need to worry about is your heavenly father and you being obedient. And if he's asking you, if his spirit is leading you, got it. If his spirit is leading you right now to make this decision, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And guess what? You're not guaranteed next Sunday to make the decision. So let's just make it right now. Anyone else? Anyone else? Got it. Thank you. Thanks. My stubborn people, I love you. I love you. 
Thanks for being teachable. Thanks for being willing. I respect that. God will honor. Had a bunch of hands. Let's just talk to him. Let's just talk to him. If you raise your hand, just tell him this. It doesn't have to be exactly like this, but something around these lines. Just say, God, here's my life, and I know that it is messed up. Man, I've made more mistakes. There's no way that I could keep up with it. And honestly, I don't even understand how you could forgive and love someone like me. I don't understand that. That's honestly why it's kind of hard to even raise my hand because of, because of how hard it, but, but I'm here now and I'm just choosing in faith to believe. And so I do believe, Jesus, that you paid the price for my sin on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for paying the price that I can't pay. I ask for your forgiveness. And I'll also know I need to stop and turn away from living the way that I wanna live. I need to repent. And so I do. And I confess you not just as my savior, but as my Lord, I, I want you to have control of my life. I wanna live for you. And, I, and honestly, I, that's intimidating. But help me, help me, help me by your Holy Spirit. Help me to understand who you are and what your plan and purpose is in your word and in the Bible and, and help me to be connected to the body of Christ so I can be encouraged, so I can be around people that believe like I can, like I believe. I wanna live for you, God. Thank you so much for your grace and your love, for meeting me where I'm at. And I wanna live for you. Father God, I thank you for every person that said that prayer just now. For the first time, and maybe just the first time in a long time, I come against the enemy's plan that would try to kill, steal, and destroy. I come against the lies of the enemy that would try to come and convince them, no, that ain't real. You don't really mean it. You're gonna be right back in the same spot in just a couple of weeks. You're gonna be right back in the same spot tomorrow. I bind and rebuke those lies in the name of Jesus. And I declare that every one of those people that said that prayer, that confessed you as their Lord and Savior, are gonna do your work, do your purpose for the rest of their life. They belong to your kingdom and for your glory and nothing else. And whether it is in their own life, in their, in their marriage or with their kids or whatever plan and purpose or future you have for them, that from this point forward, they're gonna live to bring you glory and live the life that you came to give them when you sent your son Jesus to die for them. I thank you for that. And I pray that you help us as a church Help us as a church and help them to be people of influence, to be people that make a difference in the world and the culture. You're not surprised at everything that's going on around us. And you have not asked us or told us to separate ourselves from it and to build walls and isolate. You've called us to be a positive influence of change, to speak your life, to speak your love, to help those that are around us. So God, give us the wisdom Give us the influence. Give us the words to say when we need to say them and give us the grace to be quiet when we need to be quiet. But use us in Jesus' name for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.